Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the, another episode of Reclaiming Happiness with me, Sandeep Nusra. Um, I have a really, uh, I'm really excited today. We have a distinguished guest um, in our uh, show. We have a master sommelier uh, from United States uh, joining in. For some of our listeners who do not know what a master sommelier is, just to give you a perspective, there are 269 master sommeliers w- worldwide and less than 200, 172 as part of the American chapter. Um, it is the highest degree. Um, he was a master sommelier in 1991. Um, with tremendous experience in hospitality, uh, holding uh, all top-level jobs. Um, he was a general manager for one of the acclaimed restaurants, um, Gotham Boring Grill, for almost 10 years. And uh, Gotham Boring Grill is, uh, was the hottest place, one of the hottest places in New York City, with three consecutive New York Times star. Um, he then, among... Many jobs, uh, positions he holded uh, also as general manager at Tavern on the Green, uh, top-level jobs in hospitality. Uh, he also has a MBA in finance, besides being a master sommelier from the prestigious Stern School of Business at uh, New York University, from New York University. Um, he then hold uh, the position of Dean of Wine Studies at the International Culinary Center, ICC, in NYC for uh, nine consecutive years. Uh, from 2012 and 2020, um, a uh, prolific uh, academic, academic uh, great human being, uh, amazing uh, uh, person, um, hospitalian. I, I'm running out of words to describe him. I'm really honored, as a matter of fact, that he uh, accepted this uh, offer to speak with me in my um, podcast. Without further ado, uh, Please allow me to welcome one and only one. We have uh, MS uh, Scott Carney from uh, New York City. Scott, thank you so much for coming in. Um, again, accepting to uh, speak with me. I'm going to cherish this uh, forecast and this interview for you. Oh, well, that's very nice. Welcome. That's very nice of you. It's great to hear your voice. And uh, after a little bit, it's uh, again nice to see your face on the screen here. And, uh, and as I say, uh, looking forward to the chance to talk together. Thank you. Um, Scott, um, the podcast, just a little recap about the podcast. We uh, tend to talk about happiness and well-being. I really thought after uh, returning back to Nepal, I really felt uh, this well-being topic sometimes could be uh, understated. Um, it's not as talked as much as we want here. So this is the whole idea of this podcast. Would you be able to take us back to your childhood, uh, one of your favorite memories uh, in your childhood? I guess one of the, the great memories that I have, um, I'm a little bit older, uh, but I am one of a six. Uh, I have an older sister, and then I have four younger brothers. And, uh, you know, one of the great uh, Ex, uh, expeditions that my father took us on. He was a great family man. Uh, was when I was about, I guess, fourteen years old, and uh, he decided to put the entire family in our station wagon, and he took us out uh, uh, during the summer after school was out uh, to Chicago, where I had aunts, 
uh, both are who in the uh, medical profession. And we left their, our car with them, and he put us on a train, which he was telling us was no longer going to ride out to the West Coast from Chicago. I think it was called like the Silver Bullet or something of the sort. But it was sort of a double height train. So you could go up into sort of the top area, which was all glassed out, and you could just look out at our country. And we set out from Chicago and went through the Rocky Mountains and all making our way ultimately out to Oakland, which was the destination of the train. And it was just an incredible kind of family adventure. We were able, you know, being old enough to kind of move about the cabins to kind of run a little free or run a little wild on the train. And there were, you know, no end uh, to the, you know, to the fascinations and the buying of a little candy and things and just looking at the country, which was just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. So it's one of the uh, things for which I thank my dad greatly for having sort of had that, you know, idea to bring the family and let them see the country. And once we got out to Oakland, you know, we made we made our way down the coast to Anaheim, where there was the obligatory stop at Disneyland, of course. And uh, I just remember all the different things that uh, happened along the way. Uh, but just a wonderful family trip, which uh, on which I look back fondly. That's, that's a um, vivid description, awesome description you gave it to me. Um, now, I think uh, your role is transferred. Uh, you, you had two amazing kids, right? My, my, Milo and... Uh, and Theo. Uh, Theo. There's going to come a time when uh, Milo and Theo is going to uh, share stories, including... Uh, where you are there and Melanie is going to be there. Um, I think the role's been transferred as now you as a dad, right, Scott? That's right. Well, if I could make a comparison to what my dad did, the, the trip that I thought so important for me and my children was one wine-related, of course, but they were at about the same age, I think 14 and 10, and I took them uh, to Spain. And uh, we flew and uh, stayed in Barcelona for a number of days, we went uh, to, or in in Spain, like Easter goes on for like, it seems weeks. So things, some things were closed, but Jorge Ordonez of Tempranillo Imports was able to get uh, Isaac Muga out of bed and show us around at uh, wow. Vegas Muga. And we saw a couple of other places as well, but the trip continued on to uh, Bilbao where we saw the... Uh, Frank Geary Museum, and there was the big uh, installation of Jeff Koons called Puppy, which was made a huge, huge puppy made out of flowers. And then we stayed in San Sebastian, and it was a trip that coincided with my children's birthdays, March wow. 30th and April 2nd. Uh, so we highlighted the, the trip with a, a visit to a three-star Michelin restaurant uh, in, called Arzak. Uh, which again was very memorable, and I'm hoping that as they grow older, they'll look back very fondly on the, the meal, the visits, the shoes we bought them, and and all the little details that made the uh, trip so memorable to me. And as I say, I liken it to what my dad was able to do when I was around the same age. Was it your conscious effort of trying to uh, give that memory? It's just like your dad gave it to you. Well, to them, or I, was it a a little okay, more impromptu. Uh, I, I don't think I want to uh, make too close a, a correlation, but sort of in principle or in the abstract, I wanted the kids to have memories at a particular time in their life. And so we traveled also. 
And uh, it just was opportune that I was at a particular place where I could access, you know, uh, importers and all to give me some sort of inside visits and all. And uh, they, they came along for the ride. But, uh, you know, Barcelona was absolutely fantastic. And I, I think they have uh, very good memories about uh, the trip. And uh, 23rd March today. So it looks like a, one week from now, um, we have their birthday. You uh, said March the, the first one. Mar Milo is March 30th. Uh, Theo is April 2nd. So if they would be listening, uh, we would like to uh, wish them happy uh, birthday in <laughs> advance to Milo and Theo. Uh, warm greetings uh, and wishes for both of you from the Himalayan nation of Nepal, the birthplace of Gautam Buddha. Okay. Happy birthday, both of you. Your dad is a legend, <laughs> and uh, he loves you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> awesome. Um, Scott, so um, what do you want it to become when you, were a, uh, when you were a kid? You know, I have to say I was a little aimless. I, I was a sports person. I played uh, three, you know, a sport each season. I played uh, Uh, tennis in the summer. I played uh, soccer in the fall time, and then I skated. That's my great love, ice skating and playing hockey in the winter. And so, uh, you know, it became quickly clear I was not the best at any of those things. So <laughs> I moved along with my academics and all. I'm always a great lover of music and sort of the arts. So again, I didn't have any real hard plans and any like fixed idea about who I would become and what I would do when I became an adult. Uh, but I think that that I, those ideas kind of cemented themselves a little bit after I graduated uh, from college, and I took a job as a an assistant sommelier. I kind of, again, trying to wax a little bit philosophical. You know, I, coming out of college, I thought I had learned some things about music and art, and uh, I thought that I hadn't properly developed my senses of smell and taste, and if I wanted to live sort of a full, uh, rich life, I would want those senses to very much be part of it. And so I fortuitously uh, responded to an ad in Boston at a fancy restaurant, uh, the 34th floor in the financial district of Boston for an assistant sommelier position. And very quickly, I was astounded at what wine could offer in the way of smell and taste, but in the way of history and finance and geology and chemistry and all these different things. So it became a, you know, a, a great, great focal point for what would be or prove to be continued learning, uh, you know, throughout my life and right up to this very day. Thank you for some of our listeners, uh, listeners from uh, across the globe. And obviously, um, we have listeners from Nepal. And for some of you who may be new to the uh, word sommelier, instead of myself, why not? Uh, we have the expert of wine, uh, Tell us briefly what a sommelier is for some of our audiences who may be new to this field. Sure. Well, it's it's funny how uh, words change over the decades and centuries, uh, sometimes meaning the exact opposite of what's, what they first meant. But the word sommelier, uh, again, is a French word that started out with a slightly different spelling, but uh, went on, uh, but essentially meant that you were taking care of like the animals for some landed gentry. So you're sort of an animal keeper and all. And then as time moved on, came a position that kind of tended to the wine cellar of, again, usually an aristocrat or a relatively wealthy uh, person. 
the uh, seller. And sometimes people thought that if you didn't get the chef job, then you became the sommelier, which was sort of a secondary position. <laughs> but nevertheless, you needed to tend to the bottles in the cellar and manage uh, things. And that's what it came on to mean. People went on to the floor in restaurants where they would uh, garland themselves with the, uh, the testivant, the little silver cup, which was traditionally used in the cellar to evaluate the status of a wine uh, in, a, in a dimly lit cellar, uh, but came on to be sort of this symbolic accoutrement, uh, if you will, uh, of the person on the floor who would make recommendations uh, to uh, diners in a restaurant. Uh, the position, the name uh, word has changed yet again uh, as uh, through the Master Sommelier program, many people have left the floor and gone on to uh, become beverage directors or uh, accounts in wholesale and retail and so forth. So there's been, even up to this day, a little bit of a tug of war as to exactly what the term sommelier encompasses by way of work. I think you'll remember uh, Sandeep, when we were on the floor at uh, Janoon, when we opened Janoon together, uh, there were many different hats. You know, we would be clearing tables, we'll, we'd be bus bringing out food, we'd be seating guests, we'd be doing virtually anything that was necessary to make certain that our guests had a good time. And so uh, multiple functions, the, you know, the best, of course, being talking to guests about wine and making them happy through the service of wine. But we had lots of things to do. Uh, but for any of your guests who have seen the second Jason Wise movie, uh, the sommelier movie called In the Bottle, the whole pro, the whole show, uh, movie opens up with kind of that tug of war with Rajat Parr essentially saying, if you're not on the floor in a restaurant, you're not a sommelier. And Laura Maniak, who is a master sommelier, who's gone on to open several restaurants as an entrepreneur, has gone on to say, well, I don't quite agree with that. And so back and forth we go with the word sort of moving around and morphing into other meanings as time goes on. Absolutely. So for our audiences, uh, I'm sure you get a little picture of uh, how broad and how, uh, if, how, the, how the word sommelier has evolved and the roles could be uh, used interchangeably. However, I would highly recommend you to perhaps see the trailer of the sommelier and then if you, you'll get a hints about uh, what sommelier is and maybe uh, you could watch the whole uh, series, watch the whole uh, movie rather. Um, I'm sticking with childhood and trying to, um, you know, move things up from there. How you see life when you were a kid versus how you see life uh, now and how you saw life when you are uh maybe even younger. Uh, can you sh share some perspective on uh, what what life is to you? Uh, well, well I mean, I, it's, 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 a, it's one big kind of exploration. You know, I can remember as a child, just the, you know, the excitement of getting on a bus and going to school. And I remember the various school, you know, schools that I went to. I went, I, I lived and grew up in Weston, Massachusetts and went to the public schools there and they had a series of different schools the brook the country the woodland and uh, you know spent first grade and fourth grade in the brook and second and fifth in the country and third and sixth in the woodland school so a rotation it was and 
I was a big, I was very much into sports. So the after school sports program was important to me. Uh, uh, there was nothing I liked better in wintertime uh, than lacing up my skates and going skating and playing hockey on uh, open ice, you know, black ice outdoors uh, at hmm. nighttime sometimes. Sometimes think back to all the different ponds and skating areas that uh, skate in in Weston and in the uh, surrounding towns. So uh, those are some of the fond memories I have. Uh, and then, of course, you start to get older and then, you know, junior high and high school becomes a very kind of complex uh, social mixing as people start mm -hmm. to mature. And uh, that becomes another whole, you know, uh, growing up procedure in and of itself. I, my, I, I feel very fortunate to have had a, you know, a, a mother and father, loving mother and father, and to have grown up in and around other children with, you know, brothers and sisters and, uh, and uh, you know, feel quite lucky in that regard. I could um, see clearly um, family has... Uh, Family is very important for you. Family was very important uh, for you when you were younger. So just share with us uh, one of your fond memory involves uh, you with your dad and your brother and sisters. Uh, it's important. Uh, that was the follow-up question. What's most important uh, for you? Uh, is family, is there something else? Is it balance? Uh, how do you uh, How do you compare or how do you put all of those uh, what's important for you in life with success and uh, maybe uh, prosperity? Uh, well, I, I think the, the most important hope you have at this time uh, is, is really for your children and that uh, they can enter society and be productive and be good people and, uh, and enjoy their lives. Uh, saying that my, uh, has, has picked up, which is, that a mother can only be as happy as her least happy child. And wow. uh, there's, a, there's a kind and of this, a stark, this stark is logic to that. And uh, yes, this it's powerful. kind of I, true. I that... to... Yeah, sorry, please. So, so uh, again, you know, you, you, you're a cheerleader for your kids. You, you share with them the wisdom you think you have or your opinions that you have to try to have them do better or see life in a more clear and focused way so that they can thrive and succeed and you know in what are you know challenging times or just the difficulty of becoming an adult and a you know somebody who can contribute to society mm -hmm. so does the purpose of life uh, sort of shifts to uh, seeing your uh, kids happy uh, when we when you when you get older or when you you know get mature, get, yeah. is, is that a true statement? Well, I mean, it's Am one I... of the things that I look for. I, I you know, I, I again, you you try to live your life in such a way that you can live in good health. I mean, health is important to uh, your your mental frame of mind, and also you're you're looking you're looking for sort of a a full a completeness, you know, because there's just a inevitable balance between, you know, your mental health and your physical health. And uh, you want to try to, you know, stay positive and, uh, and, you know, be a, be a positive force instead of a, a negative one. It's, it's very easy to go in, in, in you know, to, to wax negative from time to time with uh, whatever it is that you see going on in the world. Uh, but I guess your goal is to try to, you know, you're, you're on the, the planet for a short time so to try to make the most of it and to try to 
uh, improve it, I guess you could say. Well, what do you do personally, Scott, to, uh, to achieve those things, to achieve uh, that state of balance, keep yourself uh, mentally and physically fit and healthy and positive? What are some of your things you have applied throughout your life? Uh, well, again, I've paid close attention to my health as I've gotten older. Uh, to the extent that I feel I'm handing something on to people. I've lived a pretty full life in hospitality and, you know, again, have a great love and respect for wine, which has kept me curious and, you know, intellectually curious. And uh, now over the past 10 years, I've basically, you know, handed on a lot of that information uh, through my classes to people who will go on to use it in different ways. Uh, it's one of the conceits of my program is that, People's lives are, you know, irreversibly changed as they have for 10 weeks gone on to pay much more attention to smell and taste and have learned a language to talk about and appreciate wine. So that is the way in which I think I've been able to contribute uh, in, in people's education. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, try to try to live a balanced life, uh, try to try to get my exercise. I, I do a tremendous amount of reading. And I think that helps makes make my program richer because oftentimes I'm bringing things in that aren't directly related to wine, but they're kind of corollaries or slightly different ways to think about things, all, all really in the name of education. Uh, one, one of the questions I wanted to uh, ask you uh, was, uh, I really wanted to know uh, one of your favorite books, uh, because I do not necessarily ask this question to everybody, but I know you are an avid reader and you have like a lot of uh, favorite books, but can you uh, uh, tell us some of your favorite books perhaps? Well, uh, every genre. <laughs> well, I'll give you one, you know, one fiction and one uh, nonfiction. Again, I, I'm concerned okay. with the world becoming a better place. And I, I've basically read through uh, the books of James Baldwin recently as my fictional accounts. Uh, as the world is changing so, so quickly in technology, uh, become very concerned with the ways to which it's being put uh, put to use. And uh, the most recent important nonfiction book that I've read, um, a Harvard professor, a woman named Shoshana Zuboff, who wrote uh, a book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And um, that's one of the more known books with its ramifications and implications and all uh, that I've read of late. So fiction and nonfiction, that's where my head is at these days. We have uh, James Baldwin and we have uh, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, right? The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. Shoshana Thank you so much. Um, Scott, uh, also, uh, before I uh, dive into this, uh, I want to I just find out... Uh, with the conversation with Scott a little uh, before uh, the actual podcast, uh, Scott uh, lost his uh, father-in-law because of this uh, COVID uh, pandemic has uh, taught the human, you know, it's, it's going to be in the human history and we have lost so many lives. And I want to offer my sincere uh, condolences to uh, uh, Scott and 
his wife Melanie and all the families who, who are affected by the uh, uh, unfortunate demise of uh, Scott's father-in-law. Um, this said, um, we also uh, wanted to know uh, if you may uh, could share with us uh, one of the example of the challenges uh, or challenge you faced um, in your lifetime and how you, how you shaped you as a person, how you overcome them, uh, how you move forward. You can pick uh, any uh, experiences or, a, or an experience or an incident in your life. Uh, well, you know, I think the, the the big challenge, and again, to it's a it was a professional challenge, and it had to do with you know earning the accreditation that I did, the, the Master Sommelier accreditation. Uh, I wanted to continue to grow personally, and uh, as I think you earlier mentioned, uh, I had an MBA in finance and became a uh, partner at Gotham Bar and Grill for ten years, and. Along the way, after some number of years, it was like, well, what will be next for Scott Carney? And I had heard about the, the Master Sommelier accreditation and so uh, set my mind as a, you know, I, I think I was 35 years at, old at the time to do something more, to try to continue achieving. And so what that involved, of course, was I, I, I had young children at the time. I had a lot of late nights studying at home. Uh, I did regularly with my salespeople because at the time I was one of the, I think I became the 16th person to pass the accreditation in the United States. Uh, there were no tasting groups as there now are routinely today as people aspire to the same accreditation. So it was sort of a singular effort that I did and uh, I dedicated a lot of time to it to try to take yet another step up and earn something, uh, my appreciation and love of wine. And so I did not pass it uh, the first time around. Uh, the tasting first time around uh, at the Doubletree Inn in Monterey back in the 1990. And then I had to, actually in 1991, March of 1991, and I had to return to the Dorchester Hotel in London uh, nine months later in, I think, November of that year to... Uh, capture the other two pieces, the, the service or hospitality uh, piece of the accreditation and the theory. And so uh, that, those were distinct challenges. And I was, you know, uh, so happy to have put the work in and to have it realized in the form of the Master Sommelier accreditation. Remember, uh, you know, it's a long time ago, but do you remember like how you felt was it was it the sense of like when you didn't you passed the testing for the first time but when you uh, uh you know passed the other portions uh was there any distinct feeling of uh, you know uh, I'm not sure, uh, finding the right word uh I don't want to say hopelessness but like, well, I was disappointed yeah, for sure, yeah. and I recognized that I hadn't met the standard. I had made a, a tactical mistake uh, in the service that really humbled me and, uh, and I think made me a little less mentally ready for the theory exam. I thought I should have passed the theory exam on the first try, but I think I was shaken uh, by, I guess, my own conceits that I could do the whole thing at once, uh, which is very, very rare. 
Uh, so when the, the uh, practical portion of the exam did not go as I had hoped, I was disappointed for sure. And I say, say not quite as mentally sharp as I would have wanted to be for the following day's theory exam. Mm -hmm. um, also, uh, Scott, since uh, you are here, um, this is, um, uh, we're incredibly lucky to have you uh, in our episode. I want to take this moment to ask uh, a question about wine. Um, how you see wine uh, not wine for you? What, what is it, uh, uh, what kind of role it takes, uh, it, it takes in your life? Uh, how you, um, which, which may or may not be technical? Uh huh. Yes. Well, I mean, obviously it is a source of enjoyment and fascination. Uh, I do take, uh, adopt the kind of uh, sensibility that it is uh, so well enjoyed in the company of food and that there is a, actually a, a, a synergy that can be realized between wine and food. But uh, wine is just kind of magical. You, you know, you open up the cork or uh, undo the screw cap and you just kind of never know what's in there. And I'm a big uh, believer that it, it's a sort of a living thing and that surprise uh, you and uh, some of the, and what is so remarkable is that it can live sort of a lifetime in you know, a lifespan, much like a human being, which is to say that some of the great wines will go out 60, 70, 80 years and be alive and well if they've been properly stored and be some of the, you know, wildest stuff that you might ever taste, uh, you know, flavors you've never really experienced. Every wine has the capability of doing something special and while not all wines are, are meant to age, there are even very modest wines that when, you know, sort of drunk in the right place at the right time uh, with the right people and all can make for real magic. Thank you so much. Here towards the uh, end of our uh, podcast uh, uh, point, uh, it's like a tradition of our uh, show. Um, what would be a thing, one thing, uh, you would recommend for, from your point of view, for our audiences to get into, our listeners to get into, and maybe one thing they should get out of uh, as quick as they can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's a little kind of tricky. I don't know your audience, uh, but again, you know, you, you always try to find, you know, your better self. And I think you always want to work towards your better self. There, there are, certain, you know, books that talk about your higher and your lower self. And I think, you you know, it's always a continued, continuous battle to try to manifest your, your, your better halves and to hold in check the, the, the weaker parts of you about which you're less proud. And so that's the way I would put it. Uh, I learned so much from um, inviting guests and some of the things you said, uh, very profound and um, Surely, uh, just like all other audiences, I'm my own audience of my own show. So that's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything I missed, Scott? Uh, I could uh, talk to you uh, continuously forever, but uh, you have a busy schedule. I'm so grateful that uh, despite of everything, uh, you, uh, you came into the show. Uh, it's going to be, uh, it's, it, this is amazing for me. Anything you want to uh, say? Uh, to whoever may be listening down the road, um, how to be happy, what happiness is, uh, 
Anything did I miss? Uh, no, I mean, it's a frame of mind. I think you just have to remind yourself that you're not here for a very long time. So you don't want to squander the gift, you know, of, uh, of life. Uh, profound. Um, once again, uh, thank you so much, Scott. Thank you so much for uh, coming in. Um, best wishes uh, for you and your family. Uh, again, happy birthday to your amazing kids. Um, on the record, we like to we like to have you in Nepal. Uh, one of these days, whenever uh, things gonna work for you. Uh, We'd like nothing more. It would be just incredible to see you in Nepal and see your beautiful country. Thank you. Thank you.